0: Well, if you'll take a copy of God's Word and turn to Exodus chapter 17, you'll find that on page 75 in the pew Bibles, which are before you or on the sides of the end of your pews, as we look at God's Word. Just a reminder, we believe that God's Word is the only inerrant rule of faith and practice, what we do and what we believe, and it's here that we come because we need Jesus, and God has spoken to us through His Word. Um, it is inerrant without error, it is living and active, and we need it. So we come to His Word and we look at Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. But let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Father, we ask for Your blessing, that You would grant us Your Spirit and help us to understand that we wouldn't interact with Your text in a rote way or a casual way, but they would look to You in it in faith. Grant us anointing, both to the preacher and hearer alike. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. And the Lord said to Moses, "'Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink.' And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, God often takes us to thirsty places in our lives. And when He does so, we have to decide if we're going to trust the Lord or test Him. God often takes us to thirsty places in our lives. And when He does so, we must decide in those moments... Are we going to trust Him or test Him? We've all been in these places, what what I'm going to call thirsty places, and I'll explain what I mean by that as we go. I've noticed that as you get older, there seem to be more of them. Perhaps you just grow and you can recognize them better, or perhaps it just does get harder. A thirsty place is a place of a need, a choice, a decision that has to be made, a hardship, a hardship. There's something that needs to be satisfied. There's something, it's like when you play an incomplete chord on a piano and your mind fills in the last note. You know there's something that's needed there, a thirsty place. These are places that God often takes us in our lives. We have to decide if we're going to trust Him or test Him. I'll explain more about what that means as we go along. Well, God's people have left their slavery to the Egyptians. God has brought them out by the ten plagues, ending in the death of the firstborn. Two to three million of them. This is a large group of people. Well, Alabama's what? Four and a half, five million people? So this is almost the size of Alabama. Certainly slightly larger than Bruton. And he leads them out and he takes them to a hard place of, of beside the Red Sea. And there he provides salvation as he leads them through the waters And he takes them to a place where there is no water, or the water is bad, and he makes that water sweet. And then he takes them to a place where there's no food, and he gives them food to eat. And now, as they are digesting the manna, which tastes like honey in their bellies, we read in verse 1, "...and the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people." To drink. It was time to move out, to continue on their, their journey towards Mount Sinai, where they would meet with the Lord and receive their national charter. But along the way, as we've seen, God is going to lead them to moments of testing, and we reach one of those situations here. There is no water Now, Mark preached a couple weeks ago, a fantastic sermon. Call and get it uh, on CD from the church or find it online on the website. It's worth listening to. Or go to Presbyterian, August 25th. I think he's going to preach it again. Uh, You always want to preach a good sermon at Presbytery, And it's it's been well received. Um, But he talked about how testing is not for God's benefit. Where God doesn't know what's in our hearts. And he has to put us through something so he can find out. Of course God knows what's in our hearts. He takes us through testing to show us show us what's in our heart. And we bring to one of those situations again today. So the two to three million people, they're in a new wilderness. And y'all, there's no water. There's no water. And y'all, it's really clear that God has led them there. Because how has he done it? By text message or email or a map? No, God's there. In the pillar of cloud and fire, everybody, as far as the horizon will take you, can see God's presence among His people. You know, I don't camp a ton, but you usually want to keep your... I don't really camp ever, let's back up. Uh, I camped as a child. Uh, You know, when you choose your camping spot, you put some thought to it, right? You look at the slope. Make sure that your water's not going to roll downhill to your head. Uh, You know, you you, you choose it away from the fire ants if you can and watch out for the bears. Well, God chooses a place for His people not to pass through, not to stop overnight, but to encamp. And God knows all things and y'all, it's not a coincidence there's no water there. So they get up the next morning, they think maybe God's gonna take us out today. You know, they get up in the morning sometimes, and the pillar's moving, it's time to unpack and go, or pack up and go. In the morning time, the pillar doesn't move. Noontime comes, they're really thirsty. The pillar doesn't move. Maybe this is gonna be a night journey at night. The light flips on. It goes from a, cloud of, uh, a pillar of cloud to a pillar of fire. Wouldn't you love to see that light flip on? It's fun to see the Exxon light flip on, you know, but it's another thing entirely to see God's light turn on. And it doesn't move. And they stay there. Isn't that hard when God takes you to those moments, those thirsty places, and He's not taking you out of it anytime soon? It's one thing to pass through a hard time. It's another thing to encamp there. And that's where God's people are. In those thirsty times when things are hard, decisions need to be made, it's it's in those times we find out what we really are thirsty for. What are you thirsty for? Who are you thirsty for? It's been hot recently. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that. But I did some work in the yard Monday night after work or Tuesday Tuesday night. And it was hot. And I came inside. And, you know, when you're hot and sweaty and you're thirsty, you can open up the fridge. And there are a whole host of options that you can use to assuage your thirst. Now, you know that you need water or Gatorade or Powerade, something that's going to help you rehydrate. But, y'all, there are a whole other host of options in the fridge. Things like Pepsi or Coke or, or other beverages, that in the end will only dehydrate you instead of helping you. They may take away the parts feeling out of your mouth, but in the end they are actually really bad for you when you're dehydrated. How often do we turn to things when we're thirsty spiritually, when we're thirsty in a bad situation in life, in a hard season, how often do we turn to things that might assuage the feeling of being thirsty? But the word of thirst can also refer to the underlying condition of dehydration. We deal with the the sensation of having a mouth that is parched without dealing with the underlying issue. When we binge watch television, instead of dealing with conflict in your marriage. You know, when you sit down in front of the television, it might help you escape from the bitterness or the hurt, but it does nothing to deal with the underlying issue, the, the thirst. Or when we look to our children's activities and staying busy instead of dealing with the history of hurt in our lives, of abuse or hardship or failure from childhood. Or when we spend lots of money on a a new gun or a new purse, camo, or dress to fill up the void of not feeling significant and not having purpose. It might make us feel okay for a while. That deep hunger, the deep thirst will soon only get worse. It's only Christ who can assuage our thirst. We sang this earlier in Glorious Things of thee, uns- of thee are... What is this? Not unspoken, that's not right. Glorious Things of Thee are spoken, right? Something about their thirst to assuage. What do you look to assuage your thirst? It's only Jesus. Jesus said to her, the woman at the Samaritan well, everyone who drinks of this water, the physical water, will thirst again. Whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What are we thirsty for, my friends? Well, God had taken His people to several points of testing to teach them to rely on Him. And here we are again. How will they respond? There's a fork in the road here. They will either trust God... Or put them to the test? And it's like that in our lives too. When we get called into the boss's office in that long, long walk down what I remember being a, a short haul, will I trust the Lord or put him to the test? When we get a bill that we didn't expect, will we trust the Lord? When we get that diagnosis, will we trust the Lord? Well, they didn't trust the Lord here. And He had given them lots of reasons to trust Him. Y'all, do you know what was in their bellies? The manna they had that morning, could God provide? They were digesting proof of the daily miracle of God's provision. And then just like us, when we forget all that God has done for us, from our salvation to the fact that we were healthy enough to wake up this morning, when we hit a roadblock, when we hit a thirsty place, when we hit a fork in the road, a hard place, we think, surely God can't do it here. And so, what do they do? They turn to Moses and they demanded that he give them something to drink. Did you just catch that? They demanded that Moses give them something to drink. When has Moses ever done anything on his own power that has made them think he has the ability to do this? There's God in the pillar of fire, and there's five foot three Moses. We don't know how tall he was. Pillar of fire, Moses. God in their presence, Moses. And they grumble against Moses. Why do you quarrel with me, Moses said. Why do you test the Lord? The word quarrel here is, a, is a, um, it's not a good translation. Uh, it's a deep word. It's a hard word. It's a very strong word. It, means, it can mean physical combat. If you go up somebody, ran on the street, and you punch them in the face, this word works. Or if you assault somebody with words, this word works. But it also means to file a lawsuit or to press charges. They are suing God. They are bringing charges against the Lord God Almighty. We find the content of their lawsuit in verse 7. Is the Lord among us or not? What a silly question. There's God. Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. Is the God among us or not? There He is. But, of course, the question's a deeper one than that, right? Is God for us? Of course, standing on this side of the cross, we have the answer in Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us, that God Himself, who was in the pillar of fire, would take on flesh and walk on this world and live a perfect life for us that we might have salvation. How do we know God is for us? How do we know He's with us? Well, He came and tabernacled amongst us, John 1 tells us. So they put God to the test. What does it mean to put God to the test? Well, first, whatever it means, it's bad. Because this passage is quoted throughout the Bible. Deuteronomy 6.16, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massa. That's where we are. Psalm 95, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Matthew 4, 7, when Jesus was tempted by the evil one on the pinnacle of the temple, when He said, throw yourself down and, and the angels can going to be sent to catch you, don't worry about it. And what did Jesus say? As it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Hebrews 3, 7, 9, today if you hear uh, His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test. All talking about this text. What's going on here? Let's talk about what they should have done. They should have trusted in the Lord's provision. They should have trusted in the goodness of God. They should have trusted that God was with them as He had been time and time again. Certainly we've been there, right? We begin to doubt His goodness and His love for us. Something hard has come into our life. When we're in a thirsty place and we're looking for something to assuage that thirst... Trusting God comes out of humility. That God is powerful, that He's in charge, and that we are not. That He knows better than we do what we need. However, we test God, we respond with pride, and tell Him what we need. There's a big difference here. You see, they went to Moses and said, give us water. It's a command. Instead of asking the Lord for help, Lord Jesus, we need some water. Would you please provide it? Those are two very different responses to the situation. One trusts the Lord, the other one puts God to the test. Trusting God leads to petition and supplication, humbly asking. When we put God to the test, we put ourselves in authority over Him. We put ourselves in authority over Him. And instead of submitting to God's will for our lives and trusting that He is good and He has our best interests in mind, we begin to tell God what's right and how He's messed up. I remember in 6th grade, uh, <laughs> my teacher called me out for using a wrong uh, word incorrectly. And uh, so after school, I went to another teacher's class, and they had one of these huge Oxford English dictionaries that you have to use a magnifying glass. And I pulled it out, and there the 25th, 100th use of the word, archaic, never been used in 400 years, is the way I used the word. Oh I'm telling on myself here. I walked right into that class and I said, eat this. Really? Really? I put myself in authority over my teacher. I hope she gobsmacked me. I can't remember what she did. Y'all, that's what we do to God. When we test Him, Lord. This isn't right. This isn't fair. We don't want fairness from God. They demanded from Moses and brought lawsuit against God, even as they were digesting the manna in their bread. Who has known the mind of the Lord, Romans 11 tells us? Or who has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? No one. We put God to the test and we demand that we not reap what we've sown. We demand that our health be good, but we eat Twinkies for breakfast. And when we we're riding down the road at 100 miles an hour saying God's going to protect us, we don't have our seatbelt on and we're weaving all over the, the road. That's putting God to the test. When we pray for provision but spend $3,000 on the card for clothes, those things don't honor the Lord. They don't come in place of trust. We trust the Lord when we live the way He calls us to. But we put Him to the test when we live the way we want to and demand blessings and provision and peace and health from Him. We trust in the Lord when we base on His uh, trust in his, or when we base belief on His provision and love for our future, while we test Him in His patience, when we accuse Him of not caring. We trust God in thirsty places, when we live dependence independence on Him, but we trust God when we seek to do things our way in an autonomous life. We test God when we don't consult Him in prayer or his word, when we make big decisions. Well, what does God do here? How does He respond? certainly not the way I would have. Praise God. Verse 4. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Hebrew here is the past tense, as if they already have stoned me. Things are getting out of control here. Many have seen in Moses' word complaint or grumbling. I don't know that we have enough in this text to say that he erred here. I think he's going to God and saying, Hey, they're about to stone me. I need help. What am I supposed to do here? He does what they should have done in the first place. And God in His provision, God in His long-suffering patience, what does He do? He provides water. He tells them to get the staff that He used to strike the Nile to turn into blood. To take the staff that had been used in many of the plagues, to state, take the staff that, with which He had divided the Red Sea, take the elders of Israel as witnesses and go. Go to what is Mount Sinai, to Horeb. They're not going to go to encamp there yet. But there's this little venture over to the side. In verse 6 we learn, Behold, I will stand there before you on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. We don't know what it means that he said that uh, he will be on it. He will be there on the rock at Horeb. I guess likely this is the pillar of cloud, is right over the rock. Some manifestation, God is specially there. Not about you, but... Um, Most organizations around the world, when they seek to provide water for third world countries, most of them don't advertise of send send your stick in that we might use it to hit some rocks in the desert. God chooses the most impossible way to provide water for His people that He might receive all the glory, and He gives them all the water they want. He satisfies their thirst, even as He points them to the fact that only He can satisfy their deeper thirst. We should trust God because he made water come from the rock. We should trust God more because he made blood come from his son. The blood which is the only source of our forgiveness. Paul is going to pick this up in an odd way in 1 Corinthians. I mean, it's, it's, it's true because it's the Bible. I don't mean that. But you'll see. 1 Corinthians 10.4 and all drank the same spiritual drink, talking about in this situation for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. He says the rock that Moses struck was Jesus. What in the world do we do with that? How are we meant to understand that situation? At the very least, we say the rock points us to Jesus. Just as God supplied the people of Israel with physical water to save them, so Christ supplies to us spiritual water that is Himself, that will quench our thirst eternally. We have thirsty souls that can only be satisfied by Jesus. We can also say that God said in Exodus 17 that He would be upon the rock that Moses struck. And Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. He is God. Apparently this is a Christophany. This is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, before He is incarnate, who is here in this presence. Who is provided for them? The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. But it also points us to the judgment of God. Israel deserved God's judgment at Massa and Meribah. Two names for the same place, by the way. But instead, Moses struck the rock. He struck the rock for their salvation. Our rock of salvation. Our cornerstone. Our refuge. Our strength. Our Savior, Jesus. He has been struck. Not by the rod of Moses. But the rod of God's wrath, that we who are sinners might be forgiven, that we might be saved, the stone that the builders rejected, that it might become the cornerstone. My friends, what are you thirsty for? Are you thirsty for the Lord in seasons of thirst? Are you seeking to assuage your thirst with things that will not satisfy? He offers you to come and drink. And He will give you waters welling up to eternal life. We're going to close our service with a special song. It's a song that we heard as a special. It's one that we want to learn as a congregation. And it speaks of Christ, our rock. He is our cornerstone. Um, So as you get your uh, inserts out, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank You that You satisfy us and that we can look to You for satisfaction. Help us, Lord, only to look for You for grace and satisfaction. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Well, if you'll grab your insert as we sing together and stand and sing uh, Cornerstone.